unlimited discipline, aka the Stephen A. Smith of spirituality, aka the Van Jones of vitriol, aka the Bob Ross of Buddhism, aka the Muhammad Ali of meditation. And we are back for another transmission. How are you guys doing today? It's a lovely Friday that I'm recording and I apologize. I'm trying to normalize this schedule here. I recorded and dropped an episode last week on a Tuesday, I believe, and Friday is just so happens to be the day that I'm recording. I'm trying to get these out once a week and I'm going to eventually try to nail down an actual schedule. So bear with me. Also, bear with me on the sound quality of the last episode. It sounded like I recorded in a soda can. So I apologize. I'm trying to figure out, you know, the studio setup and everything like that. So bear with me. And the other side of it, truth be told, man, I love you guys, but I don't really care. We fixing the plane while it's flying, man. Um, Hopefully I can. I'm going to edit this episode to make it sound better. I was just so happy to get on the microphone and start talking that. I didn't really edit the sound quality. I didn't care to polish it up as nicely as I could. So we're going to do that this episode and we're going to try to perfect the craft because a little bit of honesty for me, I've always been okay and decent at talking into the microphone, but my problem has always been the editing part. I've, I've never been able to get the sound quality I would prefer when it comes to this shit. And So bear with me. A lot of episodes are going to sound different. So hopefully the message is going to be received the same. I'm going to try to get a little bit of consistency on that front. Um, Where to begin? I'm chilling. I have my water. I have my face mask. Yes, I'm currently wearing a face mask. Hold on. Excuse me as I pour myself up some water. Um, I'm currently chilling, face masked up, you know, moisturize and hydrate. I got a candle lit. We vibing. But we're relaxing as we delegate. And we're getting ready to talk some shiznit, man. Um, I'm getting decent feedback on the last episode. Uh, I appreciate everybody who listened. That was just me getting my feelings right. getting back into the mix it felt good hopefully this episode feels a little better um there's a couple things i want to talk about in general you know being on a microphone and just talking is pretty therapeutic everybody should try it but excuse me where do i want to start where do I want to start? Uh, bro, this dude, I'm going to see if it's him. No, it's not him. This dude rides by my window every day on his little huffy and his little little bike there and just be zooming by. Um, what I do every time I record or some days in general when I just want some, when I get some clarity, when I want to get some clarity, I open up my window and I just look out the window, man. And I just soak in the, uh, what I'm looking at. And it's a part of my gratitude exercises. 
Let me actually talk about my 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 routine, man. And I'm not perfect at sticking to this routine, but I try to do it every morning. I wake up in the morning. Um, I try to journal every morning. But before I even get to my journal, right now I record at my desk. Before I get to my journal, which is at my desk, I sit in my bed, I wake up, and I do gratitude, gratitude and satisfaction exercises. Right? I just put my brain in a space of gratitude and tell myself or remind myself of the things that I'm thankful for. There's a lot to be thankful for in life um, and gratitude or putting the mind towards a gratitude-based energy is a very healing property. It's a healing property to show appreciation for the things that you already hold dear in life, whether it's people or possessions. Because when you show gratitude for the things that you have, you're okay with them leaving. Um, Let me say that again for the people in the back. When you show gratitude for the things that you have, you are okay with them leaving. It's not to say that you're going to push the things away. No, 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 no. You're not going to push them away at all. But what you are going to do is appreciate your time with them. And so when they leave, or when something happens, you're at peace. I think pain in general, (laughs) oh Lord, I see so much pain out in the world today. And um, the work that I try to do is to help alleviate the pain to the best of my abilities. I believe the number one plight of human nature is the inability to get out of our own way. We're trapped in a cycle, a rigmarole of self-defeating behavior. And the only way to conquer self-defeating behavior is to have what I call or what has been called by philosophers in the past, philia nikea. So the ancient Greeks had seven versions of love, seven words to describe love. And I believe we have our own seven versions or seven words to describe love. But when we say we love somebody like, damn, I love you, it translates across different people, different ways. There's a different meaning. Like when I say I love my brother, it's not the same thing I mean when I say I love my lady. The emotions are different. So for example, the love that I have for my lady is Eros. It's an erotic, romantic love. The love I have for my brother is Philea. It's universal love, a wishing of perpetual well-being. So they're separate versions of love at play whenever we think we love something and by Leonikea is the love of victory and you might recognize the Nikea part from Nike just do it so what Philea Nikea is saying the love of victory 
And with the love of victory, that means, you know, not necessarily the love of domination over others, but the love of domination over self. The ability to continually conquer self. You have to fall in love with that process. You have to fall in love with beating yourself, outsmarting yourself. Knowing when you are utilizing self-defeating behaviors, you have to be aware of that. Or else you're going to fall victim to yourself every single time. And that is the ultimate plight of human beings. It's a uh, primordial fight. Um, I was telling my brother something similar. This fight that we are seeking, and I think I've mentioned this briefly on the podcast last episode. This fight that we're in the middle of is a fight that has been going on. Eons. This is a fight, not one of <laughs> kings and queens, but of principalities, you know, of values in which we hold dear. This is a fight of not this domain. This is a fight that takes place in the internal dimension. But enough about that. I do my my gratitude exercises and then I write in my journal. I try to be as honest and candid with myself as possible so I can articulate the depth of my own thought, the things that I am hiding from myself. And let me talk to you all on the other side of this microphone. You're hiding something from yourself. (laughs) You're hiding something from you. That's just the way human beings operate. We hide things from each other and ourselves. I was watching The Dark Knight Rises yesterday. Um, When I was younger, I didn't really like The Dark Knight Rises at all. At all. I thought it was the weakest of the trilogy. And for those of you who don't know, The Dark Knight Rises is the final film in The Dark Knight trilogy directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Christian Bale, the second greatest Batman of all time. But the first, yeah, the second greatest Batman of all time, but the greatest Bruce Wayne of all time. I'm going to say that there. So I'm watching The Dark Knight Rises, the final film in the trilogy. And what the Dark Knight trilogy in total represents is the existential battle that human beings go through when we seek to mature in life. Because... The Dark Knight trilogy is actually a coming-of-age story. And it's a coming-of-age story about the maturation of Bruce Wayne. See, what people don't understand about Bruce Wayne is he is a man with stunted development. Bruce Wayne witnessed his parents get murdered at the age of eight. In an alley. And as the story goes, when his parents died, so did Bruce Wayne. And what left that alley was Batman. And he's been Batman ever since he was eight years old. Bruce Wayne died in that alley. And the Bruce Wayne that we see every day is actually the mask. The true person is Batman. He performs Bruce Wayne. 
And I believe on the last episode of the podcast, I spoke about the five negative male archetypes that persist in movies. Werewolf, vampire, pirate, surgeon, and billionaire. So Bruce Wayne occupies the fifth negative archetype of masculinity, which is the billionaire. And each archetype of masculinity inhabits some version of the seven deadly sins. And um, the billionaire usually, and most of them, have all categories or all aspects of the seven deadly sins inside of them. But one of them usually predominates the personality of the negative archetype. And for Bruce Wayne, it is greed. Or for the billionaire, excuse me, it is greed and gluttony. Right, so he's performing greed and gluttonous behavior. He is the egocentric, eccentric billionaire, but that's not who he truly is. He truly is Batman. Right, so what happens when people experience trauma of any capacity, they develop it naturally or unnaturally, it depends on how you view it, become stunted. They remain the age in which the trauma has occurred, no matter what it is. Before the, the psychological literature, um, in the public sphere, I think like with fad psychologists, they only usually equate traumatic experience and the stunting of development to sexual assault. But this happens across all versions of trauma. Whatever age you experience the trauma at, it's going to be tougher for you to mature beyond that age. You have to make a serious effort to develop beyond the age in which the trauma occurred. And for Bruce Wayne, he is stuck at the age of a child. He rationalizes things from the lens of a child. Go back and watch uh, the Dark Knight trilogy and look how Bruce Wayne operates. Is he a reasonable person? Is he a mature man? Or is he just a man who wants things like a child? Can you do this for me? Do this for me. Do this for me. Like really watch what he's going through. So he has to learn how to mature. It's a coming of age story. And Batman Begins is mental. It's about conquering the mind. And in life, what we have to do in order to articulate our true feelings to ourselves, in order to illuminate the secrets we hold dear to ourselves, we have to challenge the mind, master the mind. One of the seven hermetic principles is everything is mental. Our thoughts become things. So if you do not master your mind, then life is going to be very, very difficult. So... The first movie, Batman Begins, Bruce has to master his mind or Batman has to master his mind for Bruce in order to make Bruce reality again. Because the movies are trying to make Bruce Wayne real again, bring him back to life, you know. And the first thing he has to do in order to bring Bruce Wayne back to life is master his mind and that's why you have the conflict between him, Scarecrow, and Ray Al Ghul. Scarecrow uses a psychological agent to illuminate hallucinations of fear in his victims. It's mental. Fear is in the mind. It's an experience that translates to physiological properties. So conquer the mind and no longer does fear have a home. And then in The Dark Knight, probably the best movie in the trilogy, arguably, especially after I watched The Dark Knight Rises, boy, there's an argument to be made. You have the Joker. And the conflict between Batman and the Joker is spiritual. It's one of morality. 
Where are your morals? The Joker is trying to break his spirit. The Joker is in a spirit breaking business. He breaks Harvey Dent's spirit. Breaks his spirit. Makes him sacrifice his moral code, his dignity, his integrity. That's a spiritual battle. Batman must overcome having one bad day and ending up like the Joker. Taking a life. Crossing the line. And throughout the movie, you see him be very, very brutal. Very brutal. Very brutal. Probably the most brutal aspect of Batman throughout the trilogy is present inside of that movie. But that's what you see and that's what you experience. But that's a part of reality. You're going to be faced with moral quandaries every day. And you must rise above. You must rise above every time. Who's emailing me? Don't you see I'm talking? Um, but it's a moral quandary. Right? That's the second movie. It's a spiritual warfare that's going on within Bruce Wayne and Batman. There's a beautiful scene um, after... Rachel is dead. Spoilers for anybody who haven't seen The Dark Knight. And he's just sitting there. Bruce is just sitting there in the wreckage. Bruce slash Batman is just sitting there in the wreckage. And you see, and you ask the question, is this man's spirit broken yet? And you don't get the answer to that until you watch The Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises, the final challenge for men and women to overcome as we inhabit this existence is physical. The limitations of the flesh. Yes, 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 yes. That's the most difficult part for us to come to terms with. The limitations of the flesh. How must we overcome what our bodies don't allow us to do? Being a human being is a physical experience. So we are only as powerful as our bodies or as we think our bodies may allow us to be. But in order for Batman to become Bruce Wayne, he must overcome the physical. He has been Batman for probably uh, a brief window of time and not that long. But in reality, if there was somebody running around the city beating up criminals, he won't be doing that for that long. He won't have a year long or a decade long tenure as beating people up. He won't have a decade long tenure beating people up as Batman is what I'm trying to say. It'll be a short window of time and it'll take country by storm. Who is this person? Who is this crazy person beating people up? And that's something that we cannot forget about Batman. He's a crazy person. He's a crazy person. He is just as crazy as his villains. And that's what makes Batman so brilliant. That's what makes what Bob Kane did so brilliant. This is a crazy person. It is insane to have a child fighting crime out there with you. It's insane. But I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm going to get to that part about a child fighting crime in a minute. So, in The Dark Knight Rises... Bruce slash Batman, mostly Batman, must overcome his physical limitations. And the villain that is presented in The Dark Knight Rises is Bane. And one of the things that Bane 
says or Bane is asked in the opening credits, in the opening scene, I should say, the airplane sequence. Bane is asked if I take off your mask, will it hurt? Bane says, yes, for you. Now, when I was younger, I took that moment as a, um, I took that moment on face value. Like, I think most people probably did. It's like, yeah, we, we just figured out, you know, Bane's weakness. You know, take his mask and um, there you go. All you got to do is take Bane's mask away. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it. It's more to it. Take away a man's mask and it will hurt for you. Take away a person's mask and it will hurt for you. Because when a person's mask is taken off, they defend themselves. And what I mean by that is when you challenge a person's idea of themselves, when you challenge the way a person is performing, when you try to take it and say, hey, you're not really like that. You're not really about that. Whatever you're performing, whatever you think you believe and you're portraying for the masses and you try to pull their card, they defend themselves. They fight tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. It's because they're wearing a mask. And what the Dark Knight Rises is saying is what Batman, Bruce, has to do is take off his mask. The city of Gotham doesn't need you anymore, Brucey e. B. Doesn't need you anymore, Batman. Take off your mask, my brother. And the funny thing is, in The Dark Knight Rises, there's been a prolonged sense of peace. So we asked a question previously. Did Joker actually break Bruce's spirit? The answer is yes. He did. He broke his spirit. And in The Dark Knight Rises, he has to get it back. So there's two things Bruce has to do in The Dark Knight Rises. He must heal the pain of The Dark Knight and get his body back. Because the villain in The Dark Knight Rises is Bane. Big, imposing, physical dude. Bigger than Batman. See, you look at the Joker. The Joker could never fight with Bruce, really. Never fight with Bruce. He has to try to hurt him emotionally, break his spirit. But Bane can do him physical damage, physical harm, because he's bigger than him, stronger than him, faster than him. So he must outsmart him. He must have more spirit, more willpower than him. And what you find is that's reality there's three things we must do in reality we must overcome our fears we must manifest our spirit and we must hone our body and by hone our body i mean acknowledging our limitations and making our limitations our supplementations taking ourselves to the next plane by discipline exercise people exercise Ah, all right.
I spoke about him, uh, Robin a moment ago. Robin, and how it would be kind of crazy for a grown man to drag around a child into crime fighting. And if that's not an indication of this person, this man, this man bat being insane outside of fighting crime in a bat costume as opposed to getting therapy or engaging in serious philanthropy as a way to handle Gotham's crime, if that's not crazy enough, bringing a child out into gunfire every night is just as crazy. But, excuse me, but what what Bruce tried to do with uh, the Robins, for example, is he tried to accelerate their healing process. He tried to find a way to give them what he never had as a kid. And by accelerating their healing process, he mean, I mean, he tried to give the Robins some level of therapy, a release early because he knows the anger he experienced when he had no release as a kid after dealing with the traumatic loss of his parents. He's like, yo, I had no outlet. So maybe if I give these kids an outlet, these other orphans, these other individuals, these other children who have lost their parents in traumatic circumstances or grew up without a family, maybe if I give them something that I didn't have, this thing, this compartmentalized self, young, they can heal faster and they won't be as damaged and broken as I am. And for lack of a better words, it worked. And the reason why it worked I don't know how familiar everybody is with comics here. So I'm going to get really sweaty, really nerdy for a minute. So bear with me. The reason why I say it worked is so when you look at Batman and Bruce Wayne, those are two compartmentalized selves. Like I said, Bruce Wayne died in the alley. All that's left is Batman. And he perceives the world through the lens of Batman. And when you perceive the world through the lens of Batman, what happens is. You only think of things from one direction. So Bruce Wayne, like I said, is the performance. It's the mask. The goal of the Dark Knight trilogy is to integrate both. And that's what you see at the end where Alfred is seeing Bruce and Selina Kyle overseas and they're having a great time. He's having a great time as Bruce because he had to integrate. He had to let Batman go. The hero must Return to where he started. He has to just be Bruce for the rest of his life. Maybe hard, maybe difficult, but he just has to be Bruce. And so what you find is with Nightwing, Dick Grayson, the first Robin, what you find is he sees this orphan. And in seeing this orphan, he says, I'm going to take this child in. Dick Grayson's parents, uh, the Flying Graysons, they died in a tramp in a trapeze accident. Their line was snipped by a gangster, and they fell to their demise. Luckily, Dick wasn't up there. He watched his parents fall, die, snap their neck. Boom! Batman was in the in the audience, and he says, "Yo, I want to take that kid in." He ends up taking that kid in, and he begins training him to be. Robin, his sidekick, his first sidekick. And it's never stated this way. At least I don't think it's stated as 
explicitly as I'm stating it, but the implicit desire is I need to give this kid something, right? So, and then what you find is this, all the way up until Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing. So remember, I said that Batman and Bruce Wayne are two separate people. Their personalities are different. So when Batman, when Bruce Wayne is in the Batsuit, it's a completely different person. He's monotone, he's stoic, he's serious, he doesn't crack any jokes. He's straight to the point. He's all business because that's who he really is. And when he's Bruce Wayne, when he's alone or when he's with Alfred, he's the same way. Stoic, no jokes, all seriousness. And when he's with his adopted son, same way. All, all seriousness, all business. But when he's out in the world, he's jovial. He puts on a smile, right? But what you begin to see with degradation as he grows up is who he is outside of the suit is exactly who he is inside of the suit. Who he is, he is who he is in both avenues. He's a great leader, great communicator, jokester, flashy, flamboyant, kind, empathetic, compassionate. He is the perfect version of Batman because he was allowed to integrate his shadow in a way that Batman was not. Batman has not integrated the shadow. He has not integrated the worst qualities of himself because all that's left are the worst qualities of himself. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. It's pretty ironic. So in a way, what he tried to do with Dick, with Nightwing, with Robin, it worked. He gave him a healthy outlet. Nightwing has love interests. That are healthy. He has healthy relationships with women. Bruce has toxic relationships with women. Selena Kyle, um, Ryze Al Ghul's daughter, I forget her name. Talia Al Ghul has an illegitimate son. Like, come on, man. Like, and that's because he's traumatized, yo. He's traumatized. He's he's messed up. So I say all this to say, healing, my people. Healing. Healing is very, very important. Very, 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 very important, my people. It's probably the most important thing that we can do is to heal ourselves. And if we don't heal ourselves for ourselves, heal yourself for the people that you love. Heal yourself for the person that you love. Have faith in yourself. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were recommended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command. So what, we is, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And that is our internal world. Somebody asked me this week, you know, what is faith? And I quoted that to them. What does it mean to have faith? And I said, faith, faith is hope in what can't be seen. And then she said, but I have faith in myself and I see myself every day. How can that be true? And I said, because what you want from yourself hasn't been seen yet. But you believe in your ability to manifest that reality. 
See, ladies and gentlemen, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you can get better. You have to believe that you can heal. You have to believe that you can rectify your mistakes and maladaptive behavior. You have to believe that you can hear yourself. Hear. You have to hear yourself to heal yourself. Let me say that one more time. Because I don't think they caught it. I don't think some of y'all caught what I said. You have to hear yourself to heal yourself. It's important. It's important. I believe society isn't even functioned in a way. Society isn't even patterned in a way that allows us today to hear ourselves. We are constantly hearing the thoughts and opinions of other people. Even you listening to me on this microphone is because you're escaping something. You ever thought of that? If you are listening to me right now, you're escaping something. You're running away. Stop running. Turn this shit off. Close your eyes. Put your phone down and ask yourself, what are you running from? What are you running from? How honest do I want to be? I have to ask myself whenever I'm on this podcast, how honest do I have to be? I think I'm going to be fairly honest today because I ain't got no patience for dishonesty. So, um, The simple fact is that human beings, um, how do I want to put this in a way that is respectful to myself? I recognize early that I am diplomatic by nature. Well, let me let me rewind a little bit. There's five personality traits that everybody inhabits. This is a part of psychological literature, so don't don't make it seem like I am pulling this out of my asshole here. This is psychological literature. You can Google this if you want to after you listen to this podcast, or you can Google this as I am talking. Um, There are five personality traits, the big five personalities, what psychologists call them. Agreeableness, disagreeableness, um, conscientiousness, openness, and neuroticism. Sometimes agreeableness and disagreeableness are interchanged with introvertedness and extrovertedness. But um, that is up for debate often. But those are the personality traits that every human being tends to inhabit. And this is why I'm so fascinated with human psychology and human beings in general, because we are not that different, but we are incredibly similar at the same time. We, we, we are a cornucopia of experiences inside of one person, right? But so there's only so much variation when you're dealing with a person. You, if you've dealt with one person, you will probably see that pattern somewhere else in another person because people aren't that special, man. But we're incredibly special. We hover this this beautiful nexus of interesting but bland. And I only say this because I see it inside myself. I am an interesting person, but I am also a bland person. I say I'm two things. I am the most interesting person in the world, but I'm also a simple man. How can those two things exist? Because I'm comfortable with myself. But those are the those are the traits, right? So they 
tended to find in the psychological literature found that you can understand a person's temperament. You can un- if if you can understand a person's temperament, you can pretty much understand what they're going to be interested in. Right? Like people with the trait openness tend to be more creative. And people who are more creative tend to be liberals. People with the trait conscientiousness tend to be Republicans. People who are Republicans tend to be better at running businesses. So, for example, even inside of that dichotomy, you see what is necessary in order for humanity to develop. We need open people to establish ideas and conscientious people to run them. But society is polarized in a way where we're at war with each other. Democrats are matter of liberals. I mean, Democrats are matter of Republicans, liberals are conservatives. And there's people in between who are just disinterested in both. But what we need is a, a relay. A relay of ideas. And so what they also found is that men tend to be more disagreeable. And women tend to be more agreeable. On average, on average, women are more agreeable. Men are more disagreeable. Disagreeable, quantified as the propensity to say no to new experiences and no to behavior that they find discomforting. Women are more likely to say yes to new experiences and yes to things that they find discomforting. That's why when a woman says no, you should really listen. You should heed it. And just like when a man says yes, you should really heed it. Because that means he really wants to do it. Because a man is going to say no more times than a woman is going to say no. But this marriage that exists between the personality types, we find it to be more, um, more, more along the lines of polarization as opposed to the line of cooperation. So... How does this relate to me? So I, I recognize early on that me, Rice Toluca, a.k.a. the film, a.k.a. the Don Lemon of Discipline, a.k.a. the Van Jones of Vitriol, a.k.a. the Stephen A. Smith of Spirituality. I'm a really agreeable person for a man. And where that comes from is I love my father. I have a great dad, a, a truly great father. But growing up, my dad was a little tyrannical. And I also recognized that my appreciation for Batman comes from that lineage. It comes from that authoritative, orderly father that I adhere to, that I see in Batman. See, and I, haven't, I don't have much proof for this, but I feel like the more people who identify with Batman over Superman, I think they tended to have authoritative fathers. I don't know the literature or the or the data on this, but I think that's the case. So I had an authoritative father. I didn't have a jovial, you know, uh, Peter Griffin like dad. I had a very orderly father, but I had a really kind mother. And what tends to happen with people with authoritative fathers is they vow to not be mean. It's almost like a subconscious manifestation of an external reality. We tell ourselves, I'm not going to be mean. I'm going to be as agreeable as possible because I see the depth of disagreeableness. I don't want to be disagreeable. I want to be as diplomatic as possible. And that has been my temperament because it's a subconscious reaction to viewing my father and internalizing my father's behavior. And let me don't get me wrong. The things that my father put inside of me as far as mentality, it's, it's, it's invaluable because when I go out into the world, I'm like, wow. 
motherfuckers is really fatherless out here. Not even in a literal sense, but in a in a metaphysical sense. You know, we're missing in society the great father figure, which is the the not I don't want to say the patriarchy. I don't want to say the patriarchy because it's more complex than that. But it's this it's what the patriarchy represents is what society is missing. This sense of order and structure. Thing the, the idea that things are going to be okay. We don't have that anymore. We're moving towards the uh, the incarnation of the great mother in society, which is society led by intuition, feelings, and instinct. Because that is the maternal energy encapsulated. Here goes this dude back again. Let's see. He probably went to the grocery store. <laughs> but... Niggas be going to the grocery store on bikes, on huffies. Motor huffies. Like motocrossed. Um, but that's what we're missing in society, right? Where we're, our, our natural inclinations of existence are polarized as opposed to made to cooperate. It's weird. Excuse me, I kind of lost my train of thought. Oh, so... I had to go deep in order to even figure that out about myself. I had to go deep in order to figure that out about myself. That I am agreeable because of my relationship with my father. And in order to eliminate what I perceived to be problems in my life, I had to unfortunately stop being so agreeable. Because what happens to agreeable people, people who say yes, people who tend to be people pleasers, what happens to us is we build resentment. Because we start saying, yo, I am doing everything to please everyone and nobody is trying to please me. Not how I am pleasing people. But the reality of life, ladies and gentlemen, is nobody owes you anything. I'm going to say it again, and I mean this with all love, consideration, appreciation, and affirmation. The reality of life is nobody owes you anything. Nobody. But when you're an agreeable person, you believe in reciprocity. You start saying, hey, I am giving so much to the world. Why doesn't the world give as much to me. But you have to make peace and recognize that that's okay. You don't give to receive. You give to give, brothers and sisters. A lot of y'all hearts be broken because you are giving, expecting something in return. And you get disappointed when nothing gets brought to your doorstep. That's why you're hurt. That's why you're run- That's what you're running from. You feel alone because nobody's giving you anything. You think you think life is full of Indian givers. I think that's an offensive term. I believe that's an offensive term. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I'm I'm a, I'm a PC on that. I think Indian giver is an offensive term. But what it means is giving something and giving it back, right? But you're perceiving reality in that way. You're like, yo, why 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 be kind to anybody? 
if nobody's going to be kind to me? Well, I can give you a good reason to be kind to people. Because it just feels good. It just feels good to heal. It just feels good to show gratitude. It just feels good to show compassion. But it also feels good to love yourself. Love on yourself. Treat yourself kindly. Some of y'all are in shitty relationships. Some of y'all are in bad relationships. Um, And I don't like to judge no man or no woman for their relationship status. But some of you guys are in bad relationships. And you want to know how I know you guys are in bad relationships? It's because society doesn't teach us how to love. I, I was thinking about this the other day. What would life be like if in school they taught us about relationships? Do you think your life would be better off if somebody, if they had love as a class in school, where they teach you about the relationships that you want to forge? If they teach you about, if you're a man, they teach you about women. And if you're a woman, they teach you about men. Wouldn't life be so much better today for you if you understood the nature of the opposite sex? Or if they said, hey, love is not as simple as go and find somebody that you want to have sex with and do it for the rest of your life. No. Love is complicated. I've been able to quantify love as something as being something akin to this. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But this is what I've been able to articulate to myself. So bear with me. Love is three things together. The, a relationship is three things put together. It is the love of self. Because if you don't love yourself, you cannot properly engage in any relationship of value. It's next to impossible. And I mean love yourself not in a performative way, like in a real way. Where you Think about your childhood self and imagine yourself giving them a hug and wrapping them in the love that you wished you got when you were that age. If, unless you have done that to your childhood self, you don't really love yourself. You got to get in there, man. So, yo, I love that little boy or girl that I saw, that I see in that photograph. I love that child. You have to love all versions of yourself through the mistakes, through the ups, through the downs. You have to love and embrace all aspects of yourself. If you haven't done that, you might be missing a version of self-love that is critical for your development. You must get in there. You must remember yourself. You must remember who you are and love it. And then there's the love of another. Meaning, outside of Eros, the romantic love, you must have a sense of philia, which is this universal sense of I want you to do as good as you can be and I am I want you to do as good as you can do, and I am here to help you be that. But not in a way that's overbearing. It's almost, it's a balance. It's a dance. You know, you have to be, when you love somebody, when you love somebody's path in life, when you love somebody so much that you want their path to succeed, you almost have to be disinterested, but you have to be present. It's a very delicate balance. Like, you have to be there for them, but you can't want to steer it for them. You know, it's it's like a, when a child wants to do a sport or and the dad is so overbearing, like, you know, a tiger mom 
or a dad is living through his son's basketball dreams. Yeah. You want to be there. You want to love your child's vision, but you want to do it disinterestedly, but with a sense of presence, too. Next episode, we're going to talk about attention and what paying attention actually means. And because what we pay attention to is our God. God is two things. And I'm going to focus on I'm going to get back to the love part because the last part of that love thing is very important. But God is two things in reality. God is our highest ideal. And God is what we pay attention to. And I don't mean that lightly. What we pay attention to is our God. Make no mistake about it. I'm going to say it again. What we pay attention to is our God. What the eye meets becomes our God. There's a lot of power in the eye. The eye processes light. God is light. You cannot see unless light enters your eye. So what we pay attention to, what we see, what we focus on is our God. Make no mistake. And also God is our highest ideal. So we end up doing is having an external experience of God and an external experience of God. So God is our highest ideal. It could be Christ. It could be Buddha. It could be Muhammad. It could be self. It could be your future self. So you're asking yourself in the present, what are the things I need to sacrifice in order to make my future self a reality? Hello, somebody. And these are the things that make up God. And it's a combination of both of those things that religious experience has tried to approximate since the dawn of time. So, so next episode, I'm, I'm going to get into that. And the last part about love, though, is the love of the union itself. Meaning that you are allowing yourself to lean back on the strength of the union and feel caught. So there's three parts of love. Love of self, love of another person, and love of the union itself. And for, my, for all my brothers and sisters out there that are engaged inside of a romantic affiliation with somebody out there, and you're questioning, does this person love me? Do they not? Ask yourself those three things. As you are in the thick of it, ask yourself, do I love myself? Have I went back to 2005 and embraced that person, that child that I saw, that I see in this photograph? Have I embraced that person? And then ask yourself, do you love this other person? Meaning you want the best for them. Whether or not it is with you, you want the best for them. You are invested in their well-being. You're invested in their success in a disinterested way and a not controlling way, but you're internally present. Is that what you are you there for them in that regard? And the last part, do you believe and trust in that union? If you cannot answer those three things, I will tell you to leave. Because a lot of times in society, what I see today is a lot of gender war, a lot of dating games, a lot of misunderstandings about what it's like to couple up. If you can answer those three questions, you're fine. You just have a tough decision to make. You have a tough, tough decision to make, but you should make it. But you best figure it out. Because life is long, but life is short too. I'm sorry, I'm giving you guys a lot of oxymorons, but that's the reality of life. We're everything. 
We're one thing and nothing at the same time. We're everything and anything at the same time. Shit. Um, but I've been ranting. I've been raving. I've been talking for quite some time. Uh, what are we at right now? We're at 52 minutes. My God, my Jesus. Holy. Um, let's see what scripture I want to read today. I think I want to read y'all something. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. Ooh, this is good. This fits right. And listen, I just turned, I just opened my Meta Sutra to this. I did not even intend this, right? This is about developing the mind. Developing the mind. Develop a state of mind like the earth, Rahula. For on the earth, people throw clean and unclean things, dung and urine, spittle, pus and blood, and the earth is not troubled or repelled or disgusted. And as you grow like the earth, no contacts with pleasant or unpleasant will lay hold of your mind or stick to it. Similarly, you should develop a state of mind like water. For people throw all manner of clean and unclean things into water, and it is not troubled or repelled or disgusted. And similarly with fire, which burns all things, clean and unclean, and with air, which blows upon them all, and with space, which is nowhere established. Develop the state of mind of friendliness, Rahula, for as you do, ill will will grow less, and of compassion for thus vexation will grow less. And of joy, for thus aversion will grow less. And of equanimity, for thus repugnance will grow less. Developing the mind. Um, even when I read that, I'm like, Jesus, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I haven't adhered to a lot of things that I tend to believe in like that passage there. That's something that I need to work on is to not be repulsed by things. But I try not to carry what I feel in the moment into what I internalize afterwards. I try to take each day as something new or each experience, even minute by minute with somebody as something new. It's hard, though, you know. I'm of the flesh, you're of the flesh, we're all of the flesh, but we're trying to transcend these husks, you know? We're trying to merge our mind, body, and soul in order to be something truly special while we live here. And I'm just a man on a mission, um, trying to give what I can to the world while I'm here. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to engage with society in a way that is meaningful, in a way that is valuable. I'm trying not to abuse my time here. I'm trying to speak with candor. I'm trying to be open and honest and respectful to everybody. If I failed at that, I apologize. The words I'm sorry, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. The words I'm sorry are very, very important. The act of forgiving is probably the most divine thing you can do in life. 
And when I was a kid, I used to think, man, what 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 did it what does it mean when when we say God always forgives? No matter what you do, God will forgive you. What does that mean? And what I think our ancestors were trying to communicate to us through the word forgiveness and through the act of God being a perpetual forgiver is that there's power in two things. There's power in acknowledging a mistake and there's power in forgiving a mistake. There's power in empathizing with somebody who's seeking forgiveness and there's power in seeking forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen. I, I am not trying to preach. I am not on this. It's getting a little pole pity. Getting a little pole pity. But forgive me. But there's power in forgiveness. Jesus Christ, my neighbor's been in and out the goddamn. There's power in forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen. And I never want that to be forgotten. This power in seeking forgiveness. It does not make you weak for saying sorry. It makes you strong for saying sorry. I believe there's a quote that goes, to make mistakes is human, but to forgive is divine. And I believe that is true. If you have said you are sorry to somebody, if you have humbled yourself and apologized to somebody that you care about, and they have rejected your apology. My brothers and my sisters. You are still divine. Because it is not your job to make sure that somebody forgives you for what you have done to them. It is just your job to muster up the courage to say. I am sorry. Peace to the planet. Peace be upon the listener. My name is Rice Toluca, a.k.a. the Film Abbot, a.k.a. the Don Limit of Discipline, a.k.a. the Bob Ross of Buddhism. And you have been here with me. You could be anywhere in the world, but you chose to sit here with me for about an hour and hear me talk and rant and get all pulled pity. So I really do appreciate you for sitting down with me. Um, hopefully I can edit this episode a little better than I did the past one. And we're going to get better and better as time progresses. At some point, once the audio is all crisp and beautiful, I will actively promote this podcast, but I ain't in no rush, baby. I just want to talk. I just want to shoot the shit. I just want to... I do a lot of this for the people who I wish I could talk to more. I wish I could talk to you guys more. I want to talk to you guys as much as possible. I, I want my loved ones to hear my voice because I want to hear my loved one's voice. Um... I wish I could just spend more time with everybody. I know they might lock the world back up. What I'm seeing, I think L.A. County just um, enacted mask mandates again. And I think that's going to come for all of us very soon. You know, um, so be strong. Be wise. You are life in the human form. And you are the universe becoming extremely conscious of itself. Never forget that. Hey, this is my mama's favorite song, strong. though. <laughs> <laughs> Something ain't right. Say love. It's getting late. Why won't you stay love? 
I'm trying to show you what I'm made of, yeah I want to see you when I wake up, yeah Ooh, hey, nobody love me like you do, baby Yeah, ooh Nobody fuck me like you do, baby Hey, wish that I draw the line What's worse than a loss of time? Fell deep, could've lost my mind Slide through, send them off at nine I ain't trying to break the spine You want me to make your mind Nah, shit, look at the time Tick, 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 passing by Hey, right back in the same old cycle I'm on the deep end like Michael No cap, this shit ain't no typo Fuck one, but the bitch ain't my type, though I'm just being honest, like Giannis I keep it a buck, bruh You in her DM and comments But you ain't gon' fuck, bruh Ah, say love It's getting late, why won't you stay love I'm trying to show you what I'm made of, yeah I want to see you when I wake up, yeah Ooh, hey, nobody love me like you do, baby Yeah, ooh, hey, nobody fuck me like you do, baby yeah, hey, wow. Ah, for the hoes. Wow. Y'all see me? Come on, man. Eddie got me right. Ah, yeah. Hey, what? Say love. It's getting late. Why won't you stay love? I'm trying to show you what I'm made of. Yeah, I want to see you when I wake up. Hey, <laughs> come on, man. R&B star.